Welcome to episode four of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players or by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is sponsored by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning library with custom training options for organizations. You can find more about what PsychArmor does at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with Benjamin Pomerantz Esquire, the Deputy Director for Program Development for the New York State Division of Veterans Affairs. In this role, he serves as the Deputy General Counsel for the agency, as well as working as the agency's legislative liaison and overseeing several of the division's programming initiatives. His work focuses on advocacy and assistance for veterans, service members, and their families on a wide range of federal and state issues. He also leads Governor Cuomo's Law School Consortium Project, facilitating programs at New York State's law schools offering pro bono legal services for veterans. Let's get into my conversation with Benjamin and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today about how the New York State Division of Veterans Services and the New York State Bar Association are partnering with PsychArmor to provide training to help lawyers in New York State become veteran ready. Well, Dwayne, it's, it's my pleasure. It's great to be here. One of the exciting parts of this year, one of the highlights of this year really, is the establishment of this new partnership between our agency, the State Division of Veterans Services in New York, and the New York State Bar Association and PsychArmor Institute, providing a free pathway for attorneys to improve their military cultural competency and become veteran ready, as the certificate says, upon completing this curriculum. There are 737,000 veterans in New York State. And what that means is for an attorney, regardless of which field of law is that attorney's area of focus, that attorney at some point is going to cross paths with a veteran or with somebody in that veteran's family. And gaining military cultural competence improves that attorney's ability to be able to holistically serve that veteran or that person in a veteran's family, not just perhaps in their immediate legal need, but in a broader perspective, making certain that they're asking the right questions, gleaning the right information, and at minimum, knowing the resources in their area to which they can refer that veteran or that veteran's person in their family to receive the services, the benefits, the access that they've earned by virtue of military service. One of the big challenges that veterans face, not just in New York, but nationwide, are military cultural competency barriers. We saw this, for example, in New York in the medical profession, when a couple of years ago, the RAND Corporation performed a study looking at the veteran readiness of doctors. And these scores were low. They were astonishingly low. And one of the the other astonishing parts of this study was the fact that medical professionals were not even screening for veteran status. And it got me thinking as a lawyer, okay, what are we doing in the legal community in New York State with regard to our military cultural competence? 
And thankfully, the State Bar Association has an extraordinarily active Veterans Law Committee. And through that Veterans Law Committee and through PSYCHARM, we were able to bridge this gap and make this connection to establish this partnership. And it made sense because we already had within the State Bar Association's Veterans Committee an attorney, Captain Art Cody, from the Veteran Advocacy Project in New York City, who has conducted an extraordinarily large number of first-rate military cultural competency introductory trainings for continuing legal education credits. One of the great parts of this partnership is we went to PSYCHARM and said, okay, we already have this attorney who's doing this basically military cultural competency 101 course. Can this count as part of the veteran-ready attorney curriculum? And they were great. They said, yeah, of course. The more the merrier. Bring them on board. So right now what's happening is the establishment of a training curriculum for legal professionals in New York State, lawyers, judges, paralegals, whomever, who want to take this course. They can do it free of charge. It'll be a series of between five and seven courses, none of which are overly long, but all of which hit an important topic. There's a course focusing specifically on women in the military and female veterans and some of the unique challenges that they confront, some of the ways that they have been, unfortunately, underrepresented in veteran services through the years and strategies for bridging those gaps. Different courses around access to benefits and services, what things are out there for somebody who is a veteran. A lot of times, people are not asking the question to that individual, have you ever served in the military? And by not asking those questions, those become opportunities lost. That's what this is all about. It's making certain that no opportunity to serve a veteran at first contact is ever lost. And that's why this historic partnership is so exciting for all of us here in New York. I agree. And it's exciting for me. I am a clinical mental health professional, a practicing clinician, and I recognize the importance of cultural competence, understanding my clients. And I work with some in the legal profession, but it's interesting that you took that idea of cultural competence and how do you apply it to, as you said, lawyers across the spectrum or or people in the judicial system. Why is it important though? I mean, I understand why it's important. You understand why it's important, but what's the point in which the individual is coming to that lawyer to get a need met? Why is it necessary that that lawyer even need to know that they're a veteran? There's a training that I've given several times now, and the title of the training for attorneys is Veterans Law Closer Than You Think, because There aren't that many people who focus their practice, like I do, on veteran services. But let's say you're someone who's working in debtor creditor law, right? Your focus is primarily on making certain that people are represented when they are in financial distress and they are facing creditors who are bearing down on them saying, hey, the money's due. We owe me the thing, whatever that thing is. You owe it to me and we need it now. We want it now. We're going to use the force of the law to get it now. In that situation, there are certain laws that exist that are unique to people who are on active duty service, people who are recently discharged from military service, and people who are in their immediate family. But if someone doesn't ask the question of, are you currently serving? Did you recently serve? Are you in the family of somebody who served? Well, if you don't know that information, you don't know as an attorney that a whole universe of laws that you can leverage to properly represent your client's interests. But until you ask the question, 
until you know the information about, hey, is this person someone who's serving? You don't know that that access to those laws exists. The same goes in the employment law context. When someone comes home from military service, what rights do they have to get back into the workforce? And not just rights to go back in at the level that they left, but under something called the escalator principle, the right to return if certain criteria are met to that job as if they never left, meaning any increase in title, any increase in seniority, any increase in pay that they would have been eligible for had they been in that job all along. And it goes on and on. Look at the criminal law context, right? You're involved, Dwayne, with veterans treatment courts. Sure, there's an intersection there between veterans law and, and the criminal law realm. In fact, in the U.S. Supreme Court, there is a case called Porter versus McCollum, which talks about the fact that an attorney, a criminal defense attorney who did not raise that veteran client's military service as a mitigating circumstance surrounding why that individual may have committed the offenses that they did, that actually rose to the level of a constitutional violation of ineffective assistance of counsel. That's the U.S. Supreme Court itself talking about how important that military cultural competency concept is for legal practitioners. It all boils down to one concept. You don't know what you don't know. And in order to establish better trust between an attorney and a client, military cultural competency between an attorney and a veteran client is at the absolute heart of that work. It's just a matter of what can attorneys do better to serve those who serve. You know, and, and that's really great, obviously, to be able to provide better service, but also to be able to build trust. This is one thing with service members working with a lawyer, you're putting your trust in someone, almost some very significant trust. And as we were talking even before we started recording, there's not enough veterans in the mental health profession. There's not enough veterans in the legal profession for someone to have that lived experience. You yourself, for example, didn't serve, but you've taken the time to understand, to learn, to study this culture, and that can be very beneficial for lawyers who want to be able to serve their clients better, not just court-facing, but just human-to-human. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more, Dwayne. You're right. I am someone who has never served in the military, and the reason I got into this line of work is kind of a a roundabout journey. My uncle, Robert Knightum, was an in-country Vietnam veteran in the U.S. Marine Corps, came back home, used his GI Bill funding to go to Syracuse Law School, became an attorney and then a judge. When I was five years old, I saw him presiding over his courtroom in Otsego County, New York. And as five-year-olds are wont to do when they see somebody who seems to be in an impressive situation like he was up there on the bench, I said, I want to do that. And my uncle laughed and said, okay, you got to be a lawyer first before you can become a judge. And I said, okay, I'll be that. And lo and behold, I wound up going to law school in Albany, New York. Albany Law School is directly across the street from the Stratton VA Medical Center. So the Veterans Affairs Hospital was literally across the street from where this law school is based. In the intervening years, my uncle had passed away far too young, his early 50s, from one of those cancers that we now know is linked to Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam. So as a result, I wanted to do something as a law student, especially with this VA hospital across the street from me, to give back, so to speak, to my uncle in his memory, because he was a large part of the reason why I was there at law school looking to become an attorney. 
Now, I had no designs at that point of becoming a veterans law attorney. But the reason veterans law came into being for me is because I asked the leadership of Albany Law School, are we doing anything in terms of a pro bono project or anything at all for veterans? Because I'd like to jump on board and be part of that in my uncle's memory. And the school's leadership said, no, we're not. And then half jokingly, you'll have to start something. And there's an expression out there about fools rush in, right? I, I rushed in and as a second semester, first year law student, decided to start doing something that was veteran-focused. And one of the people who I want to give a shout-out for is an attorney named Katrina Eagle, who is a solo practitioner, who is one of the outstanding veterans law attorneys in the country, and whose website I found when I was looking around online saying, what can I do as a law student to start a program at Albany Law School to serve veterans? I came across Katrina's website. I found her email. I wrote to her out of the blue and said, hey, I'm a law student. I want to do something for veterans. Can you, one of the top attorneys in the country, tell me something about what I should be doing? And to her credit, she not only wrote back, but we established a friendship that continues to this day. And she flew across the country on her own dime to come to Albany Law School and to speak to this group of law students and lawyers from the capital region of New York State about how we could serve veterans. That became the kickoff of Albany Law School's first ever veterans rights pro bono project. And during the time that I was at the school, we served literally hundreds of veterans. And I'm proud to say that that program continues to endure and to flourish at Albany Law School today. That led to me getting a position to Governor Cuomo's inaugural class of Excelsior Service Fellows. And I could have been placed with any agency in New York State government. I think in part because of my work at the law school, I was placed with New York State's Division of Veteran Services. And that was seven years ago. To this day, I've done strictly veteran services work during my full career as an attorney. And it has been a more rewarding career than I ever could have imagined. But early on, being a civilian working in a veteran's field, one of the questions that I asked to an attorney at Turo Law Center, Ken Rosenblum, who's also become both a friend and a mentor for me in this work, Ken is a veteran, combat veteran, like my uncle, served in country in Vietnam. I said, okay, what are things that I, the civilian, need to avoid when I'm trying to establish rapport, when I'm trying to build trust with somebody who has served this country? I can't bond on the veteran to veteran level. How can I get the point across that I am here to serve them? and to represent them in the best possible way. Okay, two things. Number one, don't be shy about asking questions. Secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, if someone is talking about their time in service and they're talking about a situation that was particularly traumatic for them or difficult for them or challenging for them, never say, I know what that must have been like. Because the answer is, no, you don't. I was there, you weren't. And so one of the things I like to emphasize when I do trainings is the fact that in New York State, for example, we have 737,000 veterans living within our borders today. That means 737,000 unique stories before service, during service, and after service. And the absolute worst thing that we can do as advocates is to prejudge or jump to conclusions that, okay, someone was in this place at this time, therefore their experience must be. XYZ. That's the worst thing that we can do. And I'll give you my mea culpa story. 
from 2013, early in my career as a veteran's law attorney, I got a telephone call from a veteran who had served in the United States Air Force, was interested in pursuing a disability compensation claim for service-connected post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Now, I'm thinking with the mechanical legal brain, right, of, okay, I know that I have to show that there was an in-service stressor, in-service trauma to get this person a successful disability compensation claim for PTSD. And so I started asking questions about the stressful part of this person's military service. And he said, the worst part of my service was in Dover, Delaware. I'm thinking, okay, now what in the world is so stressful about Dover, Delaware? Iraq is stressful. Afghanistan is stressful. Vietnam is stressful. Dover, Delaware seems benign enough. Thankfully, I didn't say that out loud because then he went on to say exactly what was so stressful. This veteran's military occupational specialty was mortuary affairs. And when he was stationed at Dover, Delaware, his work included things such as working with human remains in a morgue, day in and day out, right? People who had given their lives in service to this country. And at times, his job also included work with the surviving families of those individuals who had been killed in action, including sometimes being out on the tarmac with them when the plane came in and that flag draped casket was unloaded from the transport plane so that family could have that last goodbye. Is that stressful? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Is that traumatic? Yes, it is. Absolutely. And this is someone who, again, I'm so thankful that I didn't say out loud what my skeptical brain was thinking. Because yeah, Dover, Delaware can absolutely be stressful. Yeah, a non-combat theater of operations absolutely can be stressful. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of not prejudging and not jumping to those conclusions because that can break that trust that you're trying to establish. It can break it in an instant. Giving a person a chance to tell their story and to actively listen to their story, I think is one of the most important things that I've learned in the seven years of doing this work. And I think not only will it break that trust with that individual, it will also break that trust with lawyers in general. We have the same thing in the mental health space that if they have a negative experience with the mental health counselor, I'm just not representing myself. That veteran may go away and not seek mental health counseling. That individual may have just said, all lawyers are like that and I'm not going to get that. I'm not even going to try for compensation anymore if that's the way this is. And so they won't get their needs met. And and while I think that may be a heavy burden, um, I think that's a great example. And And even the story of how you got into this is a great example. You had direct connection, and then you had a meaningful drive to do this work. And what I get the sense is what you and the New York State Bar Association is to try to get this into the hands of those lawyers who may not have that direct connection or may not have that impetus, but who are still serving veterans. What are some of your hopes for this program, for this training program, the Veteran Lawyer Ready Certificate that you're partnering with Cyclone? One piece of praise that I want to offer to the attorneys in New York State is throughout the year, I meet with lawyers who say, oh, you work for the State Division of Veteran Services. What can I do? What can I do to serve veterans in the state to address those unmet legal needs? And that's a real tribute to the attorneys in the state. And one of the most important things that I say that attorneys can do is to learn about their clients, to learn about who veterans are 
and this is what this Psych Armor Partnership establishes. It establishes that opportunity for attorneys through the Psych Armor Learning Opportunities, through these online courses, and they're asynchronous, so you can take them as an attorney whenever you want. We know attorney schedules are busy, so you can be home at midnight having your pint of ice cream as a midnight snack and take Psych Armor courses and complete that veteran-ready attorney curriculum. And just anecdotally, speaking with attorneys around the state about this possibility before the partnership was signed, there was so much enthusiasm around, yeah, I want to do this because I want to give back to those who serve. That passion is there. And this partnership establishes a vehicle where that partnership and that passion can be directed in a highly successful way. A couple of things I want to see come out of that from a nuts and bolts standpoint. One of them is knowing who a veteran is. This becomes a challenge for attorneys. It becomes a challenge for veteran service officers. It becomes a challenge for veterans themselves. Title 38, Section 101 of the U.S. Code defines a veteran as a person who served in the active military, naval, or air services and who was discharged or released therefrom under conditions other than dishonorable. And within that definition that seems so simple and so straightforward comes a world of challenges. Then we have the question around character of discharge, right? Discharged or released therefrom under conditions other than dishonorable. The misconceptions out there a lot is that there's two kinds of discharge, honorable, good, dishonorable, bad, black and white, no shades of gray in between. In fact, that could not be farther from the truth. In reality, there are several shades of gray in between in terms of character of discharge, and there are several ways that somebody who has a less than honorable discharge could be eligible still for benefits and for services. The other thing, nuts and bolts wise, that I want to see changed is the integration of the veteran screening question into more intake processes around New York State in huge law firms, small law firms, solo practices, not-for-profit legal services groups, government agencies, everyone. Again, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know about this whole spectrum of benefits and programs and services and resources and so on that can be out there for that person sitting in front of us. And it's interesting because the way we ask the question matters. And Psych Armor talks about this in their training. The question, are you a veteran, often elicits inaccurate response. But the question of, have you ever served in the military? That question tends to elicit far more accurate responses of, well, yes, I I did serve. I, I served for a couple of years, but I was stateside the whole time. Okay, bingo. That's someone now who meets that definition of veteran. Now the universe is open to possible benefits, programs, services, resources for that person. And now that conversation can continue. But until that question is asked the right way, the rest of all this stuff that's out there about military cultural competency ends up not really mattering because we don't even know that a person sitting in front of us is someone who served. The possibilities out there truly are endless. And this partnership between the State Bar, the State Division of Veteran Services, and Psych Armor opens the door, really, to a, a new universe of opportunity for attorneys in New York State to be able to serve veterans and their families better. And I can't wait to see where this goes. You know, I'm really encouraged as I heard that the New York State Bar Association and the New York Division of Veteran Services was doing this. I was really encouraged. So I appreciate your efforts, obviously, one, individually on behalf of the veterans, but just really advocating for the connection between your profession and for the veterans you're serving. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. My pleasure, Dwayne.
Once again, we would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning library with custom training options for organizations. Find out more about what they're doing at psycharmor.org. In this episode, Benjamin and I talk about cultural competence. For those who haven't served, this might not seem important. Sure, service members and veterans do different stuff, but why is there a need to be culturally competent? First, cultural competence is defined as attaining and demonstrating cultural knowledge, becoming aware of when cultural norms and values are being demonstrated, responding appropriately to these behaviors, and purposefully using culturally-based techniques when working with members of a population. This is generally understood in the workplace when implementing diversity and inclusion programs, and is often applied to racial, ethnic, religious, gender, and sexual minorities. But how does that apply to the military-affiliated population? By any definition of a culture, the military service qualifies as a separate and distinct culture. One definition is the integrated pattern of human knowledge, belief, and behavior that depends upon the capacity for learning and transmitting knowledge to succeeding generations. This is certainly present in the military. The Army's Drill and Ceremonies Manual can be traced back to Baron von Steuben's Blue Book during the Revolutionary War. Another definition of culture is the shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. Again, that applies to the military. We have our own manner of dress. We have a distinct pattern of thinking. We even have our own languages. I speak both acronym and expletive fluently. Understanding that service members and veterans represent distinct culture that has unique experiences and requires developing specialized knowledge of that culture is a key factor in supporting service members, veterans, and their families in need. Someone who is working with veterans and understands their culture well can really help them in significant ways. Someone who is working with veterans who are not culturally competent can do a significant amount of harm. The second point I would like to make is related to that. One of the ways to ensure cultural competence is to have lived experience in that culture. This isn't a guarantee, of course. There are many subcultures within the military, both within current eras of service, but especially between different eras of service. But a service provider with lived experience within a particular culture can go a long way to overcoming that cultural competence barrier. The problem with that, regardless of the industry the professional is in, is something I mentioned in this episode. There are simply not enough individuals with lived experience in the industries attempting to help service members, veterans, and their families. The need for support is much greater than that which can be supplied by former service members. Therefore, I don't prescribe to the idea that only a veteran can serve a veteran. It's simply not true. As Benjamin briefly mentioned in our conversation, I'm involved in my local veteran treatment court. I have colleagues who are both deputy district attorneys and public defenders who do excellent work with veterans, but have never served themselves. The important thing is that they inquire, they learn, they ask questions, and they develop a deeper understanding about the population they're working with. Lived experience is a shortcut to building trust, and there is a lowering of the barriers, but that doesn't mean that trust can't be built by someone who didn't serve. Benjamin is a perfect example of that, and there are thousands more across the country. You don't need to have served in the military to serve the military population. You only need the desire, the curiosity, and the training to help you to do so. So this week's PsychArmor resource is the Veteran Ready Lawyer Education Program. This partnership between PsychArmor, the New York State Bar Association, and the New York State Division of Veteran Services will provide New York State Bar Association members with free 24-7 access to the courses. Lawyers who complete the training will more effectively work with and assist military service members, veterans, and their families. Upon completion of the training, New York State Bar Association lawyers will be issued a veteran-ready lawyer certificate and the right to display a digital badge signifying their specialized skill set. You can find a link to the Veteran Ready Lawyer Education Program in the show notes 
And if you're located in other jurisdictions and would like to partner with PsychArmor to bring this training to your members, we'll also have a link to reach out to discuss partnership opportunities. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM04, as well as on the PsychArmor website. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening to this show if you didn't want to support service members, veterans, and their families, and it's that passion for supporting the military-affiliated population that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. Make sure to keep listening after the end of the episode to check out the entire song. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well. Bye.